Hi everyone. So today I get to talk to you all about Saffron and Marianne's negotiating the therapeutic alliance from the year 2000. I'm going to start by talking about the concepts of agency versus relatedness. Um, agency is a need for self-definition or individu individuation, while relatedness is the need for establishing and maintaining connections with others. Obviously, human beings have innate needs for establishing and maintaining relatedness and retaining individuation at the same time, which is often why these two needs are in conflict. Otto Rank, 1945, and Winnicott from 1965 um, provided a really good example of this where they said that attempting to individuate from one's parents um, produces guilt because it threatens that relatedness to them. Uh, one other really important thing to remember is that conceptualizing the goal of treatment as learning to constructively negotiate the need for agency versus the need for relatedness um, really provides a framework for the goal of self-development that can be really useful for our clients. Next, I just want to quickly mention that there is a shift towards constructivism um, across diverse therapeutic orientations, and that is consistent with a cultural shift toward postmodern sensibility. The other concept I quickly want to mention before moving on is that of beginner's mind from Suzuki in 1970. And Suzuki states, if your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, while in the expert's mind, there are few. So it's really important to be curious. New information and new possibilities are constantly emerging in every moment of interaction with the client. So those are just a few of the beginning concepts for Saffron and Moran. I'm going to move into one-person and two-person psychology. So one-person psychology, which is deemed kind of like the classical analysis, is the emphasis on the individual experience of the client, and the therapist is seen as a blank screen. Okay, so it's very um, old school, super traditional, whereas two person psychology um, is really more about the client and the therapist relationship. That's the focus. So the therapist is seen as the co-participant. Um, Countertransference becomes a normal state of affairs. Um, there is also big focus in the here and now. And the therapist has ongoing exploration of contributions to interaction. So that's really important to remember, especially um, as we really dive into the therapeutic alliance, um, is the focus on two-person psychology. 
All right, now I'm going to talk about the clinical implications for two-person psychology, and there are three. The first one suggests that clinical formulations must always be guided and revised in light of information from the ongoing exploration of whatever is taking place in the therapeutic relationship, which means that um, everything is constantly changing and both the therapist and client are contributing to the interactions and to the relationship. The second suggests that it's critical for the therapist to engage in an ongoing exploration of his or her own contributions to all of the interactions. And the third implication states that it is never safe to assume that the interactions emerging in therapy sessions may parallel patterns that are characteristic of the client's daily life. So those are the three clinical implications for two-person psychology. Now I'm going to be moving on to talking about relational schemas. Um, relational schemas really shape the way that people relate to both their inner and outer worlds on an ongoing basis. Um, it's And they're structured in a couple of different ways, and there's four total. The first one uh, talks about how people act in accordance with a rigid self-definition to maintain relatedness with others. So an example of that would be a person who sees relatedness with being helpful may constantly take on helping roles. The second talks about how people act in a characteristic fashion in response to the failings of others that they anticipate and elicit. The third talks about how people who believe that relatedness is contingent on a mode of being consistent with a rigid self-definition dissociate aspects of their experience consistent with the self-definition. And the fourth relational schema talks about when people have incipient feelings or thoughts that are experienced as threatening to relatedness, they attempt to manage them through defensive operations. And if you want to learn more about specific examples, um, please go ahead and refer back to our study guide. All right, so now I'm going to talk to you about metacommunication, which is one of Safran and Moran 2000 most important concepts. So metacommunication consists of an attempt to step outside the relational cycle that is currently being enacted by treating it as a focus of collaborative exploration. So communicating about the transaction or the implicit communication that is taking place. This is also thought of as a type of mindfulness in action. Um, it's also an attempt to communicate about and make sense of what is happening in the therapeutic relationship. It's also important to remember that all transference interpretations can be conceptualized as a form of metacommunication. The authors also really emphasize that the term metacommunication captures the spirit of the collaborative exploration between the therapist and the client. 
All right, so before I jump into the principles, um, because we all know there are definitely a lot of these to remember, I'm going to keep it really basic here. Um, and then if you want a more detailed um, explanation of what each mini principle is, you can definitely refer back to our study guide. So there are three general principles of meta communication. Three. And those three big principles have lots of little principles beneath each one. Um, so before I jump into the principles, I want to kind of remind you of the three or general orientations and views that provide a good foundation for meta communication. So the first one talks about how the therapist should participate with the client and orient him or herself to the alliance rupture, okay? So this question is going to be answered in general principle one. The second one is going to talk about what the therapist should attend to and focus on. And the third is going to talk about what the therapist should expect while working through a therapeutic impasse. All right, so those are kind of the three foundational orientations for the principles. So here we go. So general principle number one is about participation and orientation. Okay, so remember back to the question that says, how should the therapist participate with the client and orient him or herself in the um, to the alliance rupture? So again, general principle number one is participation and orientation. Under this big one, there are eight little principles. So general principle number one is participation and orientation. And beneath that, that is supported by eight principles. Principle number one is explore with skillful tentativeness. Principle two, establish a sense of weedness. Principle three, do not assume a parallel with other relationships. Principle four, emphasize one's own subjectivity. Principle five, emphasize awareness rather than change. Principle six, ground all formulations in awareness of one's own feelings. Principle seven, start where you are. And number eight, accept responsibility for one's own contribution to the interaction. All right, so moving on to the general, the second general principle. And again, this is going to talk about what the therapist should attend to and focus on. So general principle number two is attention and focus. And underneath this one, there are five mini principles that support it. Number one, focus on the here and now. Number two, focus on the concrete and specific. Number three, gauge intuitive sense of relatedness. Number four, evaluate a client's responsiveness to all interventions. Number five, explore client's experience of interventions. All right, and last but not least, let's move on to the third general principle. 
which again is going to tell us what the therapist should expect while working through a therapeutic impasse. So general principle number three is expectation. And under this one, there are four mini principles. Number one, recognize that the situation is constantly in flux. Number two, expect resolution attempts to lead to more ruptures. Number three, expect to revisit the same impasse repeatedly. And number four, expect to lose hope. All right. So just a, as a quick wrap up, three general principles. Number one, participation and orientation. Number two, attention and focus. And number three, expectation. All right, now I'm going to move on to the stage process models. Just as a reminder, ruptures are disagreements about the task or goals of therapy or problems with the bond. Ruptures can be organized into one of two categories, either withdrawal or confrontation. In withdrawal ruptures, the client withdraws or partially disengages from the therapist his or her emotions, or some aspect of the therapeutic process. In confrontation ruptures, the client directly expresses anger, resentment, or dissatisfaction with the therapist or with some aspect of therapy. Each rupture begins with a specific marker, which is a statement or an action that the client makes, which signals the start of the rupture event. In withdrawal ruptures, clients strive for relatedness at the cost of the need for agency. And in confrontation ruptures, clients negotiate the conflict by favoring the need for agency over the need for relatedness. So again, here we see those two concepts of agency and relatedness that we learned about at the beginning. Okay, now I'm going to move on to the models. The first model is the resolution model for withdrawal ruptures, which consists of five stages. Stage one, withdrawal marker. Stage two, disembedding and attending to the rupture marker. Stage three, qualified assertion, which is when the client begins to express thoughts and feelings associated with the rupture experience. Stage four, avoidance. And stage five, self-assertion. All right, the next one is the resolution model for confrontation ruptures. This one consists of six stages, which we gave the acronym C-D-E-A-A-V, a.k.a. Angry Steve. Stage one is the confrontation marker. Stage two is disembedding. Stage three is exploration of construal, which is when the therapist helps the client begin to unpack their construal of the interaction. Stage four, avoidance of aggression. Stage five, avoidance of vulnerability. And stage six, vulnerability. If you would like, you can refer back to our study guide to look at pictures of both of these models. 
All right. And just to wrap it up, um, I just want to remind you that working through ruptures is important and it helps clients express their needs and assert themselves without destroying the therapeutic alliance. And we all know that Saffron and Moran 2000 um, really emphasize the therapeutic alliance. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day.